You're listening to Simply the Best Sports Take, the best podcast breaking down the best stuff in sports with host Sean Bingham. His takes are so good, he dropped the mic, but then you wouldn't be able to hear him, and that would suck. Welcome into STB Sports Take. I am your host, Sean Bingham, and we have a fantastic podcast for you on tap today. Why? Because it's March Madness, baby, and we're talking the NCAA tournament. I mean, have we been treated to a better opening weekend, first two rounds of the NCAA tournament in a long, long time? I mean, it's always amazing. It's always the best time of the year. It's it's like Christmas for me, you know? But this was especially good. I mean, this was especially, especially good. And I've decided, I mean, I've always kind of thought this way, but we're going to be talking about the whole tournament. We're going to be talking about what happened on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, four of the greatest days of my year. And we're going to break down what's about to happen this upcoming Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and beyond before we crown a national champion. But we also had a great Warriors and Spurs game. I mean, this is this is a great show we've got in store for you. So buckle up or you're in for a good one. And uh, as always, I want to hear what you guys are thinking. So send me some tweets at Sean Bingham on Twitter, S-E-A-N-B-I-N-G-H-A-M. And also check out uh, our website, stbsportstake.com. You can comment on our articles and stuff there, get involved in the action. But basketball is in full swing. I mean, the NBA picture is starting to kind of round itself out. But more importantly, right now, this time of year, it's all about the college game. And I just love it. I honestly think that the NCAA tournament is the greatest sporting event in the world. If I had to choose between this or the NFL playoffs, I would choose March Madness. I really would. I would choose this over the World Cup. Well, that's easy for me because soccer is like maybe my fifth favorite sport. I would choose this even over the Olympics. I really would. I mean, that, that would be a tough one because the Olympics are so rare. Um, but man, how can you pick a better, how, how can you think of a better tournament than March Madness? It's so amazing. I mean, this year alone, in the first round, there were 13 games. Thirteen. There's only 32 games in the first round. 13, almost half of them, were one by the higher seated or the worse seated team. The higher lower thing is always confusing because it's like high sounds better, but really a higher seed means you were the worst seed. So 13 of the 32 games in the opening round were won by the higher seated team. 13 of them. Think about that. 13. That's crazy. That's almost half. Um, three of those were, were the nines went beating the eights, but all the others were like pretty significant upsets. I mean, can you think of a bigger upset than Michigan State losing? I mean, Michigan State, in my opinion, is the best two-seed we've had in a long, long time. I went on the show just last week saying how Michigan State probably deserved a one-seed and how they were going to go to the Final Four. And then in the first round, they lose to 15-seed Middle Tennessee, 90-81. to I mean, it was it was a close game, but not really. Like, it wasn't one of those games that was decided in the last, you know, the last couple possessions. I mean, it was like there was a minute or two left, and it was... It was pretty clear, like, Spartans are going down, and brackets were busted all over the country. So thank goodness for second-chance brackets, right? I'm going to do that second-chance bracket. Um, in fact, I'll, I'll launch one for, for STB Sports Take as well. So check that out on our uh, on our website, stbsportstake.com. Um, I want to get everybody in on the second-chance bracket. But um, the Spartans are gone. Uh, oddly enough, the, the, the upsets kind of rounded themselves out a little bit uh, in the second round. And we did end. Um, we did end with all of the number ones reaching the Sweet Sixteen. 
two of the twos, two of the threes, and two of the fours. So technically, you know, the Sweet 16 is, if everything were to go, you know, as the committee plans, which never in the history of the tournament has it done that. But if it, you know, if it did, you'd have, of course, all four ones, twos, threes, and four seeds in the in the Sweet 16. And they actually got more than half of them in there. So, because they got half of the twos, threes, and fours, and then they got all of the ones. Oregon kind of squeaked that one out just last night, but um, over St. Joe's, good game. Yesterday was 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 phenomenal. But let's go back. Let's talk about that first round again. There's 13 out of 32 games that were won by the the higher seeded team, the the worst seeded team. I'll say because it's just confusing even to me as I say it. But um, and such amazing games. There were there were so many, there were so many you know, buzzer beaters, so many great overtime games, close games in the end. So there were five games, five this weekend, that were decided at the buzzer. Literally at the buzzer. Actually six because the Cincinnati game, the guy dunks it at the buzzer, which would have sent it to overtime. And, you know, they go back and look at the replay and and the ball is still in his hand. And that that sent St. Joe's on to the second round where they, like I mentioned just barely, they they lost a close one to Oregon just last night. But at the buzzer, Cincinnati has the ball. If if he lays it in, the game goes to overtime. But he goes for the dunk, which big men are taught to do, you know. And uh, the ball is just barely still in his fingertips, even, even though it's over the cylinder, even partially partially in the cylinder. Um, because he's still touching it, they wave the wave the dunk off, and game's over. You know, and they, you know, CBS, they end up getting the, you know, one of their um, referees, you know, to come on and analyze the whole thing or whatever for us. And he explained, that, yeah, that's the rule. If they're touching the ball, that's it, that is what it is. And so I agree with the call. I think it was a good call. I, I kind of wonder if maybe the rule should be altered slightly. You know, for situations like that where. The ball is actually like in the cylinder, you know. I get that it was still he was still touching the ball, so you have to make that call. But it did kind of make you wonder, like, I don't know. I mean, it's he's he's put the ball in the hoop at that point, you know. It's just kind of an interesting thought. But Cincinnati loses that one, but five others, five others were decided at the buzzer with with buzzer beating wins. So some of the just to recap some of the the really exciting ones. Hopefully, everybody watched these games. If you didn't, you need to go and you know maybe download the NCAA app so you can watch you know the the highlights of every game. I personally spent in the last four days. I probably spent I don't even know probably six or seven hours a day watching basketball. Um, I finally managed to get myself off the off the couch and go to the gym on Saturday, where I spent three hours trying to make up for for lost workouts because I'd been watching so much basketball. But even then I, you know, I've got my phone with me and I'm able to watch games a little bit while I'm there. It's just, this is the best time of the year. It really is. This tournament is all about heart. It's all about crowning a true champion. And there's, there's no money involved for the players. You know, they're all playing because they just want to win. The coaches love it. The fans love it. The whole country fills out their brackets. Everybody's paying attention. Everybody cares. It's and it's, and it's win or go home. There's no like, hey, we had a bad night. We'll get them next game, you know, in like a seven game series or something. You win or you go home, and I love it. So, some buzzer beaters: the the Northern Iowa game, number eleven, the eleven seed Northern Iowa hits that deep three. Jesperson, 
the senior, Paul Jesperson, to beat number six, Texas. He goes bank from half court at the buzzer, and he ended up with you know 14 points, three rebounds, but he goes bank from half court at the buzzer, and Northern Iowa, the 11th seed, upsets number six, Texas. And I thought with Shaka Smart on the bench for, for the Longhorns that they were they were a threat to go to the Sweet 16. I, I you know As you remember from last week, I took Texas A&M to the Sweet 16 from that uh, region there, which ended up being correct. But I did think that Shaka Smart, you know, he was the guy that took VCU deep, and I thought Texas would get it done. But Northern Iowa, they're a good, they're a good uh, tournament team for sure. But that buzzer beater from half court was absolutely amazing, wasn't it? It was literally a half court heave as the buzzer was sounding, and he just banks it home for the three-point win. So Northern Iowa knocks off Texas 75-72. Another amazing one, number nine, Providence, down one to number eight, USC. Scores 69-68. They're inbounding it under uh, the hoop. And, you know, obviously the Trojans are very, very focused on the Big East player of the year, Chris Dunn. He'd been having a great game. And... You can you see is like three defenders kind of follow Dunn as he breaks off, uh, you know, to the left along the baseline, and it leaves Rodney Bullock wide open under the hoop. They inbound it to him, and he just lays it in for the win at the buzzer. So, and they were actually down one, uh, so that was not going to go to overtime if they didn't score. So they end up winning seventy to sixty nine, Providence over USC again in the first round. Another cool first rounder was a uh, buzzer beater was number seven, Iowa. They win 72-70 over the 10-seed Temple, and that was in overtime. And what was really cool is that uh, Iowa was actually ahead 70-67, to but Quentin uh, Decoy, he, hit, he, he shoots a three for Temple, gets fouled with just a few seconds to go, or at the, uh, yeah, at the end of regulation, basically like with, with a second to go. And he hits all three free throws, like ice in his veins, hits all three free throws at the end of regulation, forces overtime, and then it goes into overtime, it's back and forth, back and forth, and then, um, you know, Iowa puts up this shot at the, at, eh, almost at the buzzer, and it's an air ball, and Adam Woodbury does a little little push off for the Hawkeyes there, a little, little push in the back, catches an air ball, and, and puts it back immediately, you know, all in one motion, almost like it was an alley-oop, and that literally went in just at the buzzer. In fact, if he had dunked it, it might not have counted. It might, but might have been a Cincinnati situation where the ball's still in his hand, you know. So that was another amazing buzzer beater. Iowa, the seven seed over the ten seed Temple. Then we went over the Cincinnati dunk, and then um, trying to think of some other cool ones. Oh, the, you know, and then yesterday. I mean, let's get into yesterday, Sunday night. I mean, if you missed Sunday night, you you have to go watch it. That was that was some of the best basketball you're ever going to see. Sunday night was absolutely incredible. Let's start with the sixth seed, Notre Dame. They're playing the 14 seed, Stephen F. Austin, which we can, you know, go back and talk about them even more. But that game was just so back and forth, so amazing. And Stephen F. Austin, you know, they they they're they're a great team. And that walk up guy, you know, with the big big lumberjack, literally, you know, because he's uh that's what Stephen F. Austin's mascot is, is the lumberjacks, but with his beard and stuff. That guy, I mean, I've never heard of him until this tournament, and he impressed me. I mean, that guy, he can play. But um, so Notre Dame comes down, down one. Looked it, To me, I thought, you know, I thought the game was, was going to be won by Stephen F. Austin. I really did. I was kind of excited, too, to see a 14 seed go into the Sweet 16. And 
Notre Dame shoots, misses, shoots, misses. And on the third attempt, Rex Fluger, a guy that uh, was 0 for 1 at this point in the game, had taken one shot and missed it, does kind of a volleyball tip, you know, spin tip thing at the buzzer. And on their third attempt, Notre Dame, on their last possession, they get two offensive rebounds. And on the third shot attempt of the possession, you know, Rex Fluger gets his only bucket of the game at the buzzer. And Notre Dame wins 76-75. Just an incredible game. And you're trying to watch that, and you're trying to watch the Wisconsin game. Wisconsin is back and forth, back and forth with Xavier. Xavier, the two seed, and Wisconsin, the seven seed. And it's back and forth, back and forth. And there's the Texas A&M-Northern Iowa game, and there's just all these incredible games you can barely keep up, and you're switching channels, and it's just awesome. And, I mean, so let's let's talk just a little bit about how incredible that Wisconsin game was. I mean, it's the seven seed Wisconsin the two-seed Xavier, winner goes to the Sweet 16. It's just, it's an awesome game. It's going back and forth. And the the, the ending of the game was just so clutch by Bronson Koenig. I mean, this guy, he, you know, the, the shot clock's kind of winding down, and it's basically a broken play, and he just gets the ball and takes this, like, really ballsy, like, deep three and drills it, right? Just drills it. And you're thinking, oh, wow, I mean, they might do this. Wisconsin might do this. And then he, on the final play of the game, he gets the ball, goes into the, you know, cutting along to the corner, does this step back deep corner three, and just swish right at the buzzer. I mean, and he fell into the, to the bench. You know, he knew it was going in. You see the post-game interview. He's like, I knew it was going in before I even shot it. I practiced that all the time. He was as confident as could be. And that confidence showed because he hit two back-breaking threes that ended up winning the game for the seven-seed Wisconsin. They win 66-63. So the game's tied at 63 when he hits that corner three at the buzzer. Game over. And Xavier's coach even said, he's like, I've never been on the receiving end of two back-breaking threes like those by Bronson Koenig. I mean, those were just absolutely clutch. And he's right, they were. Those were, those were so clutch. And, you know, Bill Murray, his son, uh, Bill Murray, the famous actor, his son is an assistant coach at Xavier. And, you know, the camera cuts to Bill Murray after Koenig drills the three, and it's just the face was priceless. You know, Bill Murray's face was just just agony. You know, you, you feel for the guy, you feel for Xavier and all the guys that work so hard, but it just made that moment even that much more priceless. Everyone was just in utter shock. And... Wisconsin onto the Sweet 16 for the fifth time in six seasons. The fifth time in the last six years they're in the Sweet 16. That is an incredible run. That's very, very impressive. So Wisconsin, the seven seed, into the Sweet 16 on a buzzer beater. Step back three, Bronson Koenig from the corner. So now let's talk a little bit about some of the overtime games. And I want to talk um, especially about the Texas A&M-Northern Iowa game last night. Goes into double overtime. Northern Iowa, the 11 seed. Texas A&M, the three seed, and you, you felt like the Aggies, you know, were going to learn from the, the first round upset that Northern Iowa had already done and that they would, you know, they'd be prepared for them, right? Northern Iowa came to ball and the games, you know, it goes into double overtime, but how did it go into double overtime? UNI was ahead by 12 points with 34 seconds left in regulation. Think about that. They were ahead by 12 points with 34 seconds left in regulation. What happens? Aggies get a bucket. UNI gets a turnover. Aggies get a bucket. 
you and I get a turnover. Aggies get a bucket, you and I get a turnover. And it's just like they were giving them the ball. They couldn't, they could not figure out how to inbounds the ball against that Texas A&M press. And twice, two times, the the inbounder, or not, sorry, not the inbounder, but like once the ball was inbounded, the guy that was getting trapped tried to throw the ball off of a northern, uh, off of a Texas A&M defender, so that it would bounce off his leg and you know go out of bounds, and they'd get to try again, right? And twice it failed. Both times it was you know, hit the ground and then was caught by a Texas A&M player who then laid it in. And before you know it, I mean, Texas A&M fans were leaving the stadium. They literally had, had left the stadium. Many of them had left. And somehow, some way, Texas A&M fights back from down 12 with 34 seconds left to tie the game, goes into overtime, goes into a second overtime. And, you know, Daniel House for Texas A&M, he had zero points with five minutes to go in regulation. He finished with 22. 22 points in the last five minutes of regulation plus the two overtimes. So he went off uh, in the last 15 minutes of that game, you know, combining the two overtimes with the last five minutes of regulation. Scores 22 points. You and I really just kind of collapses. You feel for those Northern Iowa seniors, Paul Jesperson and a couple other guys, you feel for them because they they honestly just collapsed down the stretch. They should be in the Sweet 16, but Texas A&M Aggies find a way. And 538.com, if you guys haven't checked out that website, it's pretty cool. It gives you like the percentage chance that each team has of winning, you know, at any given time. And they had A&M at a 0.1 chance of winning, a 0.1% chance of winning when there was 34 seconds left in the game. So Northern Iowa literally was at a 99.9% chance of winning at that point. There was like the smallest, smallest, like, fracture, hairline fracture of margin available for them to somehow blow it, and they managed to find that that hairline fracture, and they blew it. So A&M on to the Sweet 16. So A&M a three seed in the Sweet 16. So let's let's just look at the, at the Sweet 16. In the South, you have the one Kansas versus the five Maryland. You have two Villanova versus three Miami. And then in the West, you have the one Oregon versus four Duke. Two Oklahoma, three Texas A&M. So the West went chalk. The South basically went chalk. I mean, you had Maryland in there as the five instead of, I think Cal was the four in that one. Yeah, Cal got upset in the first round by Hawaii, the 13 seed, one of the many first round upsets that was really fun to watch. And that game wasn't really even that close. Hawaii won by 11. And, um, you know, in Cal's defense, they they were without two of their best players. One guy, you know, they knew in advance wasn't going to be able to play. And then a second guy, I guess, was sick, they said. And then a third starter ended up fouling out. And so Cal was really undermanned. So the uh, Hawaii, you know, they they get the first-round victory there as a 13 seed, um, which uh, kind of opened the door a little bit, you could argue, for Maryland. So Maryland, the five. So, yeah, the South almost went chalk with the exception of Cal, but they were replaced by the five-seed Maryland. And then the West went totally, you know, chalk to the Sweet 16, one through four. The East, you have one UNC versus five Indiana, and then six Notre Dame versus seven Wisconsin. And then the Midwest, you have one Virginia versus four Iowa State. And then the interesting one, 10 Syracuse versus 11 Gonzaga. Now, I'm going to pat myself on the back. While I was dead wrong about Michigan State, Obviously, so was everybody else. I was absolutely right about the Zags. I knew that Utah 
was not going to go to the Sweet 16 as a three seed down there. I looked at that matchup and I thought, Gonzaga, Seton Hall, I don't really care who wins that game. They're going to beat Utah. And I was very confident that it would be Gonzaga to beat Seton Hall and Gonzaga to beat Utah. And Gonzaga steamrolled into the Sweet 16. They beat uh, Seton Hall good, and then they beat Utah by a record 23 points. That's the highest margin, tied for the highest margin of victory by a double-digit seed in the tournament. So the three Utah gets embarrassed. The Pac-12 as a whole is completely, has just been completely annihilated. Um, Eight Colorado lost to nine UConn. Eight USC lost to nine Providence. Four Cal lost to 13 Hawaii. Six Arizona lost to 11 Wichita State. And Wichita State had to play in a play-in game even. And then three Utah, you know, gets embarrassed by 11 Gonzaga. It was just a complete and total breakdown by the Pac-12. Oregon, the only team in the Sweet 16 from the Pac-12, they started with six teams. All of them were the lower or the better seeds in their first-round matchups. Only Oregon and Utah won their opening round games, a one and a three seed. Those are not hard games to win in the opening round. And even from there, only Oregon makes it to the Sweet 16. And even that was a close one against St. Joe's. So... The Pac-12 wins the worst conference award for the tournament opening round. Best conference award, very clear who that goes to. That goes to the ACC, who has a record six teams in the Sweet 16. Think about that. Six teams from one conference are in the Sweet 16. That's, what is that, like 40%? I mean, I'm not, a, I'm not the best mathematician in the world. Let's pull out a calculator. What is that? Six divided by 16. Let's just do some quick math. 37.5%. I mean, that's... That's incredible. 37.5% of the teams left are from the same conference, and we're down to 16 teams. Six of them from one conference. One UNC, one Virginia, three Miami, four Duke, six Notre Dame, ten Syracuse. I also said Syracuse would win. Everybody was saying they didn't belong in. I was even saying, you know, maybe they maybe they didn't. You know, maybe their their resume didn't warrant it. But I said, I was like, they're going to win, though. So if you can win your opening round game, you deserve to be in the tournament. And they did. Then they won their second round game, too. They got a little bit of a pass because Michigan State lost to Middle Tennessee. And so that kind of opened the door for Syracuse to you know, get into the Sweet 16 because now instead of playing the two Michigan State to go to the Sweet 16, they had to play the 15 seed Middle Tennessee. And you know, Jim Beheim had had a chance to look at film and see what they did to Michigan State and prepare, and it paid off because they won They won easily over Middle Tennessee to make the Sweet 16. But what a, what an opening round. What an opening round. The ACC, so so impressive. I mean, we knew they were the best conference all year, all year long, and that's honestly why I picked North Carolina to win it all instead of Kansas or Michigan State or someone like that is because I thought, you know, these guys, they play in by far the best conference in basketball. And they won the regular season outright, and they won their tournament outright. If you can do that and get in the hardest conference in basketball, you're my pick to win it all. So I'm sticking with my UNC pick to win it all. I am admittedly glad, for my for my bracket's sake, that Indiana was able to beat Kentucky because that was the one game I was a little worried about, was that Kentucky matchup uh, in the Sweet 16, but now Kentucky's not there, so... Which Coach Cal, for the first time since he's been at Kentucky, will not be in the Sweet 16. He's actually gone to the Elite Eight or further five years in a row. 
and this year they lose in the round of 32 for the first time since he's been at Kentucky coaching the Wildcats. So big win for Indiana, huge win for that that program. And that was a game that honestly that was a that was a better than a 4-5 matchup. That should not have been a second round game. I'm glad it was cuz it was just so fun to watch. But that felt like a second round or a second weekend matchup. That felt like a sweet 16 or even an elite 8 type of matchup. But um we got to see it in the second round and and the Hoosiers are victorious and they're in the sweet 16. So Hoosiers in in Indiana uh, you know, I, or excuse me, the Hoosiers in North Carolina. I mean, that's that's going to be a tough game for North Carolina, but I feel like it's a very winnable game, and so I'm, you know, I would obviously stick with my North Carolina pick there. So let's just let's stick in the East and let's just kind of go through the bracket here. Again, tweet me, tweet me, you know, your stuff, and while I've got a second here, make a little plug. Subscribe to the podcast if you're listening to this on iTunes. Take a quick second, hit the subscribe button. Give us maybe a five star rating if you think uh, if you like what you hear. Give us you know, and even if you don't, give us some feedback. You know, give us a uh, give us some feedback. Let us know what we can do to you know improve your listening experience. So anyway, sticking in the East, the one UNC and the five Indiana. I'd I'd stick with the Tar Heels there. Then it's interesting the six and the seven Notre Dame and Wisconsin. I think Wisconsin you know is coming off of a really sweet win. Uh, with that Koenig corner step back three at the buzzer to win just last night um, over Xavier. But I think that Notre Dame is the six. I'm going to take them to beat Wisconsin, which would make for an ACC Elite Eight matchup to go to the Final Four. North Carolina, Notre Dame, that could be interesting. I would take Notre Dame, or excuse me, I would take North Carolina still in that one. Uh, let's go to the Midwest, the one Virginia and the four Iowa State. So again, folks, if you've got your second chance bracket out, pay attention because I feel like I did pretty good. I had ten of my ten of my Sweet Sixteen teams were correct. I've got six of my eight Elite Eight teams still left, three of my four Final Four teams left, both of my championship teams left, and then my overall champ still in it. So I'm sitting pretty in my bracket because all the big points come from here on out. And I've got a lot of teams that I picked still left. I'm still going to do a second chance bracket though because I think it's a really fun idea. So if you're doing your second chance bracket, if you're if you're you know if you're in a an office pool or in a pool with your buddies and you're throwing, you know you're chasing bad money with good, or you're throwing good money at bad or whatever the phrase is. Here's your chance. I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. In the East, we're going to have a North Carolina Notre Dame matchup in the Elite Eight, and North Carolina will win. So North Carolina is going to the Final Four. They will beat Indiana, Notre Dame will beat Wisconsin, and then North Carolina will beat Notre Dame. That's the final four in the East. In the South, which is the top left part of your bracket, Kansas and Maryland, I think Kansas wins that one. I actually think they'll, I don't think they'll blow them out, but I I don't really see that being a game that comes down to the last few possessions. I think the game will be in hand with a couple minutes to go. I think Kansas wins that one. And then Villanova-Miami. This could be a really, really tough one. I... You know what's funny is I, you know, I tweeted this yesterday, but I never, I, I always give Villanova the benefit of the doubt. And this year I thought, you know what, I'm done. Villanova's let me down like several years in a row. They went to the Final Four in 2009, and since then they haven't even gotten out of the second round. And they're always like a pretty, pretty high seed. They were the nine seed a couple of times where you're not really expected to, you know, to to get to the Sweet 16 because if you win your first game, your second one's against the one seed. But still, they're Villanova. You know, they've got some history there. They've been to the Final Four in 2009. Jay Wright's a good coach. They get good players. 
you know, they've been in the Big East and all that. And anyway, they get to that, they get to that, uh, you know, second game and they just, I don't know, they just can't seem to get out of the, out of the first weekend, basically. So I, I was done. I was done trusting Villanova. I predicted that they would lose in the second round and I was wrong. They're now in the Sweet 16 and they looked really, really good. Actually, they looked like one of the strongest teams in the tournament, shooting 59% uh, basically in both games of the opening opening weekend. So now they're playing the three of Miami, and Jim Laranega, to me, is one of the greatest coaches in college basketball. And Miami looks good. I picked Miami uh, originally to go to, to the Elite Eight out of this south region to play Kansas. And I'm gonna, I would stick with that. If I was you, I would stick with that. But for those of us in our regular brackets that already picked Miami, maybe hedge your bet on your second chance bracket and pick Villanova in this one. You know, if we're just trying to play the odds, that's what I'm personally going to do. I feel confident enough in teams like Kansas and UNC that I'm sticking with them in both brackets. But Miami, Villanova, that's a little bit of more of a, a coin flip, especially the way Villanova looked in this opening weekend. So I would maybe... For those that already have Miami, hedge your bets and take Villanova. For those that had Villanova, hedge your bet and take Miami because that's going to be a great game. I'm looking forward to that one. In the West, either way, sorry, let me finish the South. Either way from there, I say Kansas wins, and I think the Jayhawks go to the Final Four. In the West, Oregon and Duke. I had picked Oregon to go to the Final Four, or to, excuse me, to go to the Elite Eight and then to lose to Oklahoma, and then Oklahoma go to the Final Four. I still think Oklahoma will go to the Final Four. This is one. This one went chalk, and this was one that I, you know, did predict correctly. I know, you know, no big, no big upset predictions there. Not really the toughest choices, but I'm still proud of myself. I got all four of these right: Oregon, Duke, Oklahoma, Texas A&M. But having watched a couple of games now, ah, this is, I don't know who's going to win this Duke Oregon game. Duke is not deep, and it starts to show in the second half of games. Uh, Yale. I mean, how about Yale beating Baylor, by the way? Can we can we take two seconds to talk about that? Because I was going to talk about the Duke-Yale game and how Yale came back on them. And, but I'd be, you know, doing our all of us a disservice if I didn't talk about how awesome that Yale-Baylor game was in the first round. I mean, that was just incredible. 12, Yale beats the five-seed Baylor, 79-75. And Tarion Prince, at the end of the, at the post-game interview... You know, he's he's asked, you know, how how does Yale out-rebound Baylor? You know, really kind of a condescending, stupid question that was asked to a guy that's sitting there. He just scored 28 points, got four rebounds, three assists. He had a phenomenal game, but his team lost, and they very much were a team, you know, hoping to make it to the Sweet 16, and they lose in the first round to the 12-seed Yale, who got their first-ever tournament victory. He's already having a bad enough, you know, moment in life right now. And then, it's, you know, the reporter asks kind of a dumb question in a condescending way even like how do you guys get out rebounded by Yale and classic answer one of the most classic answers in NCAA tournament interview history Torian Prince looks at him and is equally condescending back and, and explains what a rebound is and he's motioning with his hands he's like well so see when the when the ball comes off the rim and you and you grab it like this and he's showing him how to, you know, how you grab a rebound with two hands, <laughs> and you and you and you bring it down. That's generally called a rebound, and they got more of those than we did. <laughs> and so that video, you know, goes viral all over the internet, all over every news outlet, and it was just the most classic answer ever. So, 
But a great upset by Yale, 12 seed over the five. Little Rock, Arkansas, we didn't even talk about them. That was a that was a great game over the five. Purdue, that one went to double overtime. Double overtime, 12 seed um, beating a five seed. The, the 12s and the fives were, you know, that always happens. But um, that was a good one with uh, Little Rock, Arkansas beating five. Purdue, 85-83 in double overtime. So those were a couple of upsets that maybe I failed to mention. There were so many, it was just incredible. Obviously, Stephen F. Austin put the hurt on West Virginia, 70 to 56. That was a 14 seed, Stephen F. Austin beating the three West Virginia by 14 points in the first round. That was just incredible. VCU gets the win over Oregon State, the 10 over the seven. Sorry, I'm just looking back at a few of the upsets I failed to mention. Wichita State, 65 55 over the six. Arizona, that was an 11 over a six. I wasn't surprised at that one at all. I wasn't surprised at that one at all. And then Gonzaga over Seton Hall by 16. Wasn't surprised by that one at all either. Now, when I say I wasn't surprised at the Wichita State-Arizona game, I wasn't. Um, I did pick Arizona, but I'm being honest with you right now. It was an accident. I filled out my bracket before the play-in game, and I wanted to make sure that Wichita State actually won their play-in game before I marked them down to beat the 6-Arizona, and then I failed to go back and actually like change it after, after Wichita State did win their play-in game. But I knew, I mean, they're, they're a great team, and I knew the Pac-12 was not that good. And so I'm not surprised at all that they won. But anyway, that, that kind of rounds out some of the upsets. But uh, let's let's get back. Sorry, I got a little sidetracked there. But let's get back to this Duke-Oregon matchup because that's what you know kind of started all this. It made me think of how Yale came back on Duke. And Duke, they just don't have the depth. And so it makes me a little bit worried about what they can do. You know, I, I had originally predicted that they were going to lose this exact game to Oregon. But then I watched Oregon against St. Joe's, and it's like, I mean, they look great against Holy Cross, but that's a 1 versus a 16. You better look strong in that game. And then they play St. Joe's, the 8 seed, and that was that was anyone's game. I mean, that was anyone's game, and I actually thought St. Joe's was going to pull it off. I tweeted last night, I like I said, you know, this looks like this looks like the end of the Pac-12's run in the tournament. But Oregon finds a way. They come back, and they had that freshman. I forget his name, but they had that freshman that, uh, you know, hit some big shots and had a big three, hit some free throws, and Oregon comes back and wins, and the Ducks are in the Sweet 16. So I just don't know. It, to me, this is another coin flip game, Duke and Oregon. If you had Duke in your original bracket, I would take Oregon in your second chance bracket. If you had Oregon in your first bracket, your original bracket, I would take Duke in your second chance bracket. So I have Duke in mine. Or excuse me, I don't. I have Oregon in mind. I'm going to take Duke in my second chance bracket just to kind of hedge my bet. And if you had neither of these teams, if you butchered it entirely and it's truly a second chance for you with this matchup, my gut tells me that I don't know. (laughs) Isn't that the truth with all these games, right? I mean, nobody knows. The so-called experts. I had a friend in our in our uh, our pool, you know, we make the joke that, uh, you know, he had gotten some professional counsel, you know, he had he had hired somebody, you know, to give him advice and, and whatnot. And another friend got kind of upset, like, what, you know, you can't do that. And I just laughed. I said, honestly, dude, you can, you can bring in any ringer you want. You can get Jay Billis to join our pool and he's welcome because nobody knows how to predict these things really. You know, it's just a total crapshoot. There's a few games here and there that people, you know, correctly predict. Like, I was very confident that Gonzaga would reach the Sweet 16, and they did. 
but there's plenty of others that I was completely wrong about. Like who would have, who would have guessed that Michigan state was going to lose in the first round? Maybe like the, the moms of the middle Tennessee players. Like other than that, I don't think anyone was thinking middle Tennessee was going to win that game. So, so yes, my gut is telling me, I don't know, but if I had to, if I had to pick one right now, Oregon or Duke, uh, I would take Duke. I would, I would take Duke. The, the, the question will be in that game. Will they be able to hold up in that second half? Because coach K is only playing like seven guys, you know, and you just get tired, especially in the college game where there's a lot of press, you know, full court press. I mean, you're just getting tired of these tournament games. So I think, I think that'll be the question mark, but I think they've got several days to rest and get prepared. I think coach K is the better coach. I think Duke's just the better program. I think they've had a much tougher uh, regular season to prepare them for a game like this. And there's just more history there. They're the defending national champions. So I think Duke finds a way to beat the one-seed Oregon to reach the Elite Eight. I think the run will stop there. But, you know, Duke's looking looking pretty good. It's just a matter of depth and fatigue, honestly. they just They just look fatigued. But the Pac-12 has proven how weak they are. And for that reason and for how Oregon looked last night against St. Joe's, I'm going to say that Duke will win that game uh, over the one-seed Oregon in the West. The 2-3 matchup, Oklahoma-Texas A&M, that's a, that's a Big 12 versus an SEC matchup. Oklahoma-Texas A&M, two Oklahoma, three Texas A&M. I originally picked Oklahoma in this one, and I would, I would stick with that. I think Buddy Heald is the best player in the country, and when you have a player that good, you can make deep tournament runs, and that's exactly what I think the Sooners are going to do. I think they reach the Final Four. So out of the West, I'm sticking with Oklahoma to come out of the West in the Final Four, which means I'm sticking with all three of my Final Four picks that were that are still left, Michigan State being the one that is not even a, an option at this point. So we did the East, we did the West, we did the South. That leaves just the Midwest. This is the This is the interesting one. We are absolutely guaranteed of a double-digit seed being in the Elite Eight, either 10 Syracuse or 11 Gonzaga. Those are both storied programs. Neither one of those teams is going to be considered much of a Cinderella because their names and their their programs are just too big and too storied. But uh, one of them is going to take on the winner of the Virginia-Iowa State game, and that one went chalk, one Virginia versus four Iowa State. And I take the Cavaliers in this one. I think Virginia looks really strong. They weren't really even talked about much in this opening weekend because they just didn't have close games. They were just kind of rolling, and here they are in the Sweet 16. And I think Iowa State's one of the... I mean, they're in the Sweet 16, so they're a good team, but they were to me, they were one of the weaker four seeds. But they made it, and they're in the Midwest, and so they get a chance to, to battle for the Elite Eight. And you could argue that whoever wins that Virginia-Iowa State game, I mean... Technically, they're playing the 10 or the 11, right? So you could argue that's like kind of a a shoe-in to the Final Four. But, I mean, we know it's not because it never is. But uh, I would be kind of surprised to see either Syracuse or Gonzaga make their way to the Final Four. That would be be cool just because it's cool to have double-digit seeds in the Final Four. I don't see it happening. But um, I'm going to take Virginia in that 1-4 uh, that matchup in the Midwest and then in the 10-11 matchup, Syracuse-Gonzaga. I would take the Zags. The Zags big men, um, Wiltshire and Sabonis, that I knew that they would be the difference makers against the Utes to kind of neutralize uh, Pirtle, and they were. And I think, you know, Syracuse has that 2-3 zone, and 
they only run that 2-3 zone on defense. That's all they do. And the best way to beat a 2-3 zone is to have good play on the interior, get the ball into your big men, you know, at the free throw line, or and they can kind of do a, a you know, a, a big man game down low or in the key and break down that 2-3 zone, get guys to collapse, dish it back out for threes. Wiltshire can hit the three. Sabonis and Wiltshire can both hit the mid-range jumpers. And I think that uh, Gonzaga is going to beat Syracuse and go on to the Elite Eight. And that'll be kind of cool. That'll be cool to see a West Coast Conference team, the only team from the West Coast Conference that got in the tournament in the Elite Eight as an 11 seed. I mean, defying all odds, right? So maybe the West Coast Conference not getting as much love as it should. BYU has a quarterfinal NIT game tomorrow night. That's Tuesday um, against Creighton. And if they win that one, which I think they will, they're in the final four of the NIT, and they were really the third third best team, third place team in the West Coast Conference. St. Mary's, you know, was the second place team. So it makes you wonder. You see all these Pac-12 teams going down, and you see the second place, uh, the second place West Coast Conference team just beat up on the second place Pac-12 team, and you, it makes you wonder. Like maybe, maybe the committee needs to pay a little bit more attention to the West Coast Conference, and maybe not give the Pac-12 as much love as they're getting uh, with all of their teams going down. But anyway, so I'm taking I'm taking Gonzaga and Virginia, and then I'd say Virginia makes it to the Final Four now. So my Final Four is going to be the one-seed Kansas uh, out of the South, the two-seed Oklahoma out of the West, the one-seed North Carolina out of the East, and the one-seed Virginia out of the Midwest. So I think this tends to happen you know, every year, the opening round, tons of cool upsets. It's a lot of fun. A little bit fewer upsets into the Sweet 16, a little bit fewer into the Elite Eight. And by the time you reach the Final Four, generally you're looking at like four really stud top teams that were like clearly like top 10 type teams at the end of the year before the seedings took place. And I think that's exactly what we're going to get. We're going to get four out of the top six or seven or eight teams that were in the country this year battling it out in the Final Four in Houston. So it should be pretty cool. I think we're in for a real treat. So if you're doing your second chance bracket, that's my recommendation. But hedge your bets, kids. Hedge your bets. Don't bet because it's not cool. But if you did, hedge them because, <laughs> because you've got a chance to, uh, you know, kind of right the right the ship a little bit on your second chance bracket. So again, the ACC wins the best award. Pac-12 wins the worst award. And before we end the podcast today, I mean, this has been a really fun one, just talking basketball here, just shooting the bull by myself, talking about the tournament. I mean, I'm looking at the timer here, and I'm up to 43 minutes. I mean, this has been this has been a lot of fun. But I have to talk real quick before we end about that Warriors-Spurs game. That was a game in the NBA that I was looking forward to for, for months, honestly. And guess what? We get to see it two more times before the end of the season. I think both teams, they they want to win. They want to beat that other team. Maybe we're going to see, you know, as it gets more solidified that the Warriors are the one seed and maybe they've already beaten, you know, the the 72 and 10 mark. Maybe they start to let up a little bit and they don't worry about, you know, playing all their guys. But until then, we know they're going for 73 and we know they want home court. And so they got to win a few. They, you know, they got to keep winning because the Spurs are hot on their trail. But the Spurs, you know, they, they get the win 87-79 in San Antonio over Golden State. So Golden State now has seven losses. They're like 62 and seven or something. And Curry only had 14 points. He was four of 18 from the field, one of 12 from three. Did have six boards and six assists. But the question is, can the Spurs beat the Warriors in a seven-game series? 
I don't think so. I mean, they can, but it's unlikely. That's the best way to put it. They could. I mean, they could, they could do it. They're a good team. They're a really good team. But I think the the Warriors are going to have home court. Uh, it's it's almost it's, it's not impossible for the Spurs to steal that home court advantage, but it's pretty close with how the how many how few games are left in the season and how many games the Spurs are behind. I think they're behind three games or still or four games even. You know, so to make up four games in in like fifteen games when when it, with a team as good as the Warriors, it's just not going to happen. So the Warriors are going to get home court, and as long as they have home court. I just I just don't see them losing a seven game series this year. It'll be surprising to me if they don't win the NBA championship. They're clearly the favorites, but if anyone can beat them, it's the Spurs. Or honestly, I do think the Cavs could have a chance as well. Again, I think it's unlikely, but those are the teams that would have the best chance, in my opinion, to take them down. But you never know. Maybe maybe they lose a seven game series at some point. But the thing about this game was. The Warriors had just played the night before, so they're on the the second game of a back-to-back, on the road, without Bogut, and I feel like they were missing space maybe as well. So, I mean, they're without two two key players on the road on the second night of a back-to-back. I mean, the if there's ever been a ingredients for losing a game, that's it, you know? Have two of your guys out and be on the road on the second, you know, second game of a back-to-back. I mean, that's that's the ingredients for losing, and that's what happened. The the Spurs won, and they only won by 8. So, I just feel like with those circumstances to only win by 8 is not not that impressive. So, in my opinion, uh the Warriors are going to going to win the NBA title, but that was a cool game. It was really fun to watch, and it was Saturday night and we I had so many games going on, I couldn't even keep up, but what a weekend it was. We've got a fantastic weekend ahead of us, so buckle up. Try and get as much work done as you can today, tomorrow, and Wednesday because Thursday comes and we're going to be right back to basketball for the next four days in a row, and it's going to be incredible. So get ready for it. Check us out again on iTunes and uh, SoundCloud. So if you're listening to this on the website, check us out on SoundCloud or iTunes. And if you're on iTunes, please subscribe and rate. Same thing on SoundCloud. Give us, a, give us the old subscribe button or follow button. And uh, that's it for the podcast. Thank you for joining us. You guys are awesome. And we will be back Thursday. That's the plan anyway. We're going to be talking about the top. Can we want to do our own Sweet 16? It's 2016. We want to find the best team, the best champion of the overall champions of this century. So that should be a fun one. But that's it for the podcast. I'm out. Thanks for hanging with Simply the Best Sports Take. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and check out stbsportstake.com. Simply the best in sports. You're the